right. Uh, do I just eat this? Yes. yes. Just shove her right into your mouth. Not the green part. Not sorry. the green part. Just the red part. Okay. For those of you wondering what that conversation was about, uh, this is a pre-recorded episode. We just, with uh, some upcoming weather issues, we're not certain that we have a chance to get out a regularly scheduled episode. Oh, so we are pre-recording an episode <laughs> about... <laughs> this is a pre-recorded episode about Legend of Zelda. Uh, that being said, uh, we agreed that Matt would eat a hot pepper for you guys, and that's kind of going on right now. So enjoy the episode. We'll talk to you again once it's over. And we'll see how Matt's doing there with the pepper. <laughs> it hurts. Oh my god. Oh. Good thing I can literally see the hospital from your window. <laughs> to what is my podcast about this is a podcast where we as a group try to collectively come up with what we want our podcast to be about for the future i'm your host matthew grace and as per usual i am joined today by keith hey and peter how's it going yeah and today we've decided to start talking about legend of zelda Huge topic to talk about. Is there anything specific you wanted to try to touch on during our conversations? <laughs> uh, everything? Uh, I want to talk about the Zelda series. I want to talk mm. about the video games within the Zelda series. Okay, okay. I'm assuming we're going to leave out the CDI games, correct? Oh, definitely Oh, God, not. no. All right. What, they're, what? they're important to the lore. Yeah. Uh, How okay. are we supposed to know what's going on unless we talk about the Wand of Gamelon? All right, then. I mean, it's a, very, it's a very big topic. It's hard to say this is what I specifically want to talk about, so I feel like we're just going to go through everything and our thoughts on it. Okay, so I guess forewarning, there won't be real or any sort of real structure to the flow of this. Yeah, this one's probably going to end up a little bit different than our other podcasts, but hopefully just as fun. I mean, to be fair, there's no real structure to the rest of our episodes. Yeah, we yeah. kind of just do what we want, and there's really nothing you can do about it. We're the ones in the room recording. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> what are you going to do? Stop listening at this point? Uh, uh, but, but, but seriously, please don't stop listening. <laughs> yeah, please continue to listen, regardless of how power crazy we all go. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> anyway, Squadola, we are off. So I'd like to start us off today by, as a decent starting point, talking about our starting points to the Legend of Zelda series, how we were introduced to the series as a whole. I started as I assume a lot of people did, with Ocarina of Time, highly touted as one of the best Legend of Zelda games of all time, and lots of people say that's through pure nostalgia. But I also agree that it is, in lots of regards, one of the best Zelda games. But in a lot of perspectives, in a lot of people's minds, it's kind of the definitive Zelda game. Yeah, it certainly has the definitive formula to it. Go to dungeons, collect the magical items you need, get the powerful sword, more dungeons, save a princess, fight the evil boss at the end. Yeah, it was definitely a big game. It did set a lot of standards for the series as well, uh, moving forward. Uh, funny enough, I did not start with Orca No Time. I actually started with Link to the Past myself, and I went into then Link's Awakening and then played Ocarina of Time. I started with Link's to, uh, Link to the Past, then went to Ocarina of Time, then Majora's Mask, and just gave up on that one immediately. That, that's... It, it's a fantastic game. 
I was not emotionally prepared for the complexities oh, no. of that and game. At the time, as children playing through that game, that game was incredibly stressful, having to balance out the whole time mechanic. You have three days to do this, or else the world ends. Okay, that's too I, stressful for a little kid to handle. That I wasn't think that's the stress I had. I, I think that's more stressful to me now, of having a strict deadline that I have to work towards outside of work. Oh, that's just exhausting to think about. Yeah, for me, uh, with Majora's Mask specifically, the moon, like just oh, large structures in video games always are a bit unnerving, and that, that was like I think it's because of, I think it's because of the moon in Majora's Mask that anytime I see a large structure in any video game, I'm like I don't know, who this. Uh, just, just don't look up. Sure, it gets bigger over the course of the three days, but it's just just, just, the, just don't look. It's one of those things you don't even look for. You're just like scanning the horizon to look for a thing, and you're like, oh god, no, it's there, peering at me. Which is funny too, because it must be just the Orperino, uh, the uh, Nintendo 64 version of it, because the 3DS remake, no problem whatsoever. I looked at that thing, it's like, yeah, it doesn't look scary anymore. It's the round nose. Yes, yeah, the round nose, probably. But, uh, anyway, yeah, with Ocarina of Time, I started as a child, and still currently. Absolutely Wait, you're awful. still a child? Uh, no, well, no. What? I would say. Keith. Peter, stay Why away. are we do Okay. I mean, you're the one we should be worrying about. You're not wrong, anyway. but also, don't tell the audience. Anyway, uh, I was always horrible with horror, anything scary. Even orcs from Lord of the Rings. I couldn't watch Lord of the Rings very well without getting nightmares for weeks because of the orcs. It was the same thing with Ocarina of Time. I played through the beginning fine, got to Hyrule Field was traipsing through the field towards the castle. And Nightfalls, the Stull children come out of the field. I couldn't handle that as a child, so I just turned the game off. <laughs> I was fine watching my brother play through the game, so I watched him play through the rest of the game. I was not fine watching The Well or The Shadow Temple. The Well freaked me out. The... That freaking white monster with the hands? Yeah, yeah. that's nightmare fuel. Well, God, the, what, what are they? The Redead's uh, scream when it yeah. sees you. Yeah, every time it sees you, it goes, that was loud, I'm sorry for your ears. Yeah, it was just awful. Uh, I loved the game. There were some freaky moments. None of the freaky moments caused me to stop playing. But just like, for me, Majora's Mask, it's not like straight horror or anything or like scary like that. But there's just so much creepy shit in that game that it's just like, this is normal. I have a fake smile plastered on my face and I sell masks. And I'm like, nope. You want to eat my soul. That's why you're talking to me right now. You want to taste my soul. I'm not on board with this plan. Well, let's think to like, I can't think of offhand a Zelda game that doesn't have those dark or creepy things in it. All of them have an aspect of it, uh, whether it be, you know, going into a dark dimension or an upside down world where people get transformed into different things. Uh, Majora's Mass, obviously, there's a whole aspect of the moon coming down and impending doom. Hell, even the adventure of Link uh, had some dark moments. That's the first introduction of Shadow Link. Yep. Uh, and Twilight Princess, I remember, had that moment where, like, all the Dark Zelda, uh, no, the Zelda's links look at you and with the red glowing eyes. It's like a <laughs> horror moment right there. True. And, well, Ocarina of Time, for instance, sure, it had those moments. It had the well, it had the skeletons coming out of the field at night, it had the Shadow Temple. But aside from that, it was mostly more adventure. I'm a hero, I'm on a quest to save this person. And nothing else was terribly scary about the game. Yeah, well, that was the general idea of it. I believe uh, Miyamoto even talked about the inspiration for the Legend of Zelda series was more so that fun of going out and adventuring yeah. and finding oh, yeah. new things. Yeah, games. his creating the first game was based off his joy of just, like, wandering through the woods and finding a cave and, like, seeing what's in the cave. And usually it was nothing, but it was just, like... The fun experience of adventuring is what inspired him to make the very first Legend of Zelda. But that one time, it's the guy that gives you the sword and tells you to go have fun with it. 
And for some reason, the sword's attached to his body, and you're confused as to what's going on right now. No, no, Peter, that's just you. That didn't happen to you guys? No. God damn it, Pastor Smith! So, moving on from that statement, we've kind of touched a little bit on it, but I kind of want to get your guys' opinions on the idea of a Zelda game, because, like... When Breath of the Wild came out, there was a lot of bad press going around about it because it wasn't a true Zelda game because it didn't have dungeons, it didn't have, like, the hook shot or anything like that. It just had you walking around the world, killing things, and then finding divine beasts and the temples and all that stuff. It had a lot of fun stuff, but to a lot of people, it wasn't a proper Zelda game because it didn't have the things they associate with it. I think a lot of that does come from Ocarina of Time, which is where all these traditions started of it has to have a fire temple, it has to have a water temple, it has to have an earth temple. You have to get an item halfway through the temple, and that item has to help you solve the second half of the temple, but also has to be the mechanism by which you defeat the boss at the end of the temple, and all this stuff. And I kind of want to get your guys' feelings on the idea of what is required for a game to be considered a Zelda game. Is it just it has to have a character named Link and a character named Zelda? Does it even need a character named Link? Does it just need to have a princess named Zelda for it to be considered a Zelda game? What are your guys' thoughts on this? I mean, you're, you're right on that where it, it's kind of like, there's been so many games at this point, it's kind of got an rooted formula of what you expect with it. Uh, the different temples, as you said, the finding the item that helps you beat that. And then there's the small pool of core items that you use constantly, which is like bombs, your sword, different types of shields, uh, maybe a few different attack items. But with the formula, how it tends to be is, Items quickly outstay their use. Yes. Uh, for yeah. example, uh, I remember in going back to Orca Time, where that's one we talked about quite a bit to this point, the hammer. I didn't use that much after the uh, temple. For me, even bigger example is Deku Nuts. You get them in the beginning, you can throw them on the ground to stun an enemy. I used them in maybe the Deku Tree and then never again. I just had a max limit of Deku Nuts for the rest of the game because I never once used a Deku Nut after that first dungeon. Yeah, and that's one of the things about it. And then when we apply it to things like Breath of the Wild, what it's really just doing is offsetting the dungeon-specific items and then more front-loading the constant items. That's why they give you the tablet with the special abilities that are essentially replacing what you normally would have gotten with those items. You yeah. probably would have got an item in another game, like a staff that freezes a target in time, and then you can put some uh, momentum onto it by hitting it or something. Uh, There's definitely stacks that uh, staffs in other games... That just, if you point them at a pool of water, creates a pillar of ice for you to stand on and climb around. Yeah, so it would be stuff like that. Essentially, they were just changing it that it's not the item anymore. It's now, you have a function from the beginning, you can use it any time. Uh, the other side of that, too, is temples. You have to go to the temples. The Divine Beasts, in a way, had that, but they weren't quite thought out and well structured like they were still fun and had puzzles to solve but they, they weren't as elaborate as previous games they were definitely different I, i'd say that they were well thought out for what they were the puzzles were very satisfying to uh, try to solve and the fact that the system for breath of the wild is so open-ended they give you the tools that you need right at the beginning of the game but then everything else is up to your own interpretation you can figure out whatever way you want to solve the puzzle if you can think of it you can probably find a way to do it what was restricting was the size of the divine beasts and how small they they had to confine those dungeons oh definitely yeah i did really enjoy the divine beasts from breath of the wild to clarify we should accept this is not a breath of the wild episode this is a legend of zelda so we should probably move on and talk about more general things but well there was one thing i wanted to mention about breath of the wild and what makes a zelda game as well is my only real issue with that was specifically 
the boss fights. Yeah. The one of the things I've always enjoyed is seeing just all the creative boss fights and all that with it. But again, when you don't have specific dungeon items and it's all front-loaded, you have to plan for those being the tools they're going to be using at every point. And that kind of... I don't know if it was an issue where they didn't have the time to think about fun ways of like maybe applying one of those items to each boss fight in a temple. Instead, they just kind of made each of the boss fights the same thing where they had a different attacking method. Then, and that's something I didn't care too much for. Yeah, I did really like the Divine Beasts in the sense that like each one you walked in and you very quickly gained control over a certain mechanism within the Divine Beast. And then the rest of it was learning how to manipulate that mechanism to best explore. Like, for instance, in the bird divine beast you literally can control like its pitch whether it's rotated to the left or right and that literally rotates the entire dungeon and causes like elevators to slide up or down the rails because they're not powered and it's a really cool dungeon idea it's just it didn't it felt lacking and i like your idea of like they give you the magnesis ability at the beginning of the game and one of the divine beasts you get to has a whole bunch of different puzzles built around magnesis but like it doesn't make it clear that it's just this is the Magnesis dungeon. It just it has like three or four puzzles throughout built around Magnesis, and then the trick to defeating the final boss is using the Magnesis. And the only way you think of that is, well, I use Magnesis throughout the rest of this dungeon. Maybe I'm supposed to be using Magnesis here instead of everyone being uh, throw a bomb, it gets done for a second, slash it a couple times, and then run away and try that all over again the next time it's back up and running. Yeah, essentially an idea of the whole game is meant to you get used to using these, and then the dungeon or the boss fight would be the test to see if you figured out how to use this to its like fullest degree yeah you, you test to make sure you know how to use one specific one to the best of your abilities and like that's one thing like i feel for a zelda game to be what in my mind a zelda game would be a world to explore so it has to have not just like the main things but the hidden things uh it has to have I feel like Link and Zelda need to be involved in some capacity. Triforce, not really. It's not really an important thing. It's a highly mentioned thing, but it doesn't need to be there. Uh, and the other thing is, I've always found the boss fights to be a specific thing. Yeah, I. so those are some key things I definitely like. The idea of it definitely has to include Link or some version of Link, and it has to include Zelda or some version of Zelda. I think it'd be really cool if they just fucked around with the formula a huge amount and put, like, a Princess Zelda in, like, a modern setting where it was just, like, she was the daughter of, like, a head of state of some country. Not necessarily, like, a real-world country, but, like, the idea of Hylia progressing to the point where it is like a modern United States or something like that. And then Link just being a guy walking around in a modern city, still having all the exploration aspects, still having, like, the fighting villains and stuff like that, but just, like, in a completely different setting. I don't think the setting's super important. I love the idea of exploration, and from that regard, I almost feel like Ocarina of Time, that's the word I'm looking for, mm -hmm. Ocarina of Time kind of built a bad precedent into the other games that all kind of follow the formula, which is you follow along, you're given a quest, your quest causes you to go to one location, once you go to that one location, you're told to go somewhere else to follow up on that quest, and it's very much so like you see Death Mountain at the beginning of the game, and you if you want to go up and check out Death Mountain and explore that area... Too bad, you can't go up there until they give you the quest to go up to Death Mountain. And it kind of is very restrictive where it'd be a lot cooler if it was much like Breath of the Wild is where you see Death Mountain, cool, that's a cool spot, I want to go up there. As soon as you start going up there, you're like, oh god, I'm not prepared to go up here. <laughs> and if you wait and you like start progressing the story a little bit, then you get the quest and you find out, this is what I have to do to be prepared to go up there. Or I can just explore and figure out what it is I need to do to be prepared to go up there. Rather than it just being like, no, you can't go here until we tell you you're allowed to go here. And that's definitely a trend I think that the series is going in as well, where 
they're focusing more on the ex- exploration aspect, which I feel is very important to the Zelda series, where not just Breath of the Wild, but even uh, Link Between Worlds. Link Between Worlds was fantastic for that, and then it was like, here's the world, here are three dungeons you need to go to, have fun. And it wasn't like, go to this dungeon, and don't go anywhere else until then. It was like, here's three dungeons, but also like, the rest of the world's a fun thing, and you can probably find fun stuff if you go to the rest of the world. Go up to the Zora Temple, or the Zora Homeland, and hey, cool, have some flippers for all the hard work you did for us. And now because you have those flippers, you can swim now. And it's just the kind of thing of like, you don't have to you don't have to be told, oh, you have to go to the water temple. And then you go to the water temple, but he's like, you can't go here. You got to go to the Zora temple so that you can get the flippers so that you can swim to the water temple. It's just like, oh, you just kind of chanced across the flippers. And that's super cool of you. And in an effort to uh, make the dungeons not impossible either, to like fully bring home the fact that, oh, you can do these dungeons in any order you want within that game. They had the item shop, which had all of the items in the dungeon will let you know what item you needed. So you just had to go and rent the item from uh, Raphio to make sure that you had the, yeah. uh, the correct item you needed for that dungeon. Uh, and it seems Breath of the Wild just took the next step in that where, well, you don't need an item to explore this dungeon. You have all your tools you need from the beginning. I did really like the way that uh, Link Between Worlds handled that because another problem that a lot of Legend of Zelda games had was giving rupees value oh definitely which is you got the big uh, the adult wallet you got 999 rupees and like unless you wanted to fill up a potion vial you just didn't really spend those rupees and uh link between worlds was fantastic for that because it was like all right if i die i lose all of my gear my bombs my bow my hook shot and i'm halfway through this dungeon if i die and i lose all that stuff i can't complete this dungeon so maybe it's in my own best interest to save up a bunch of rupees right now so that if I do die, I can quickly run back, buy back the items I need to finish this dungeon and come back to where I am. Or you can do what I did, and as soon as you get the option to rent your items, uh, save up all the rupees you can, buy every single item, save in front of every single dungeon, do the dungeon. If you die, reset the game. (laughs) Uh, That's an aggressive stance to take. I did end up doing the thing where, like, as soon as I had money to buy an item, I bought an item. It's but, the adventure game equivalent of uh, scum saving. Yeah. So that kind of... My things that I think a Legend of Zelda game needs is it needs some form of Link and some form of Zelda. It needs the idea of exploration. I think it benefits from having the items. I think Breath of the Wild was a very good what they did in trying to eliminate the need to do specific dungeons in specific orders to get specific items. But I think like there were some items there that I felt lacking through their kind of missingness. Like, the fact that there was no hookshot, I was a little bit disappointed in that, because the hookshot was one of my favorite items from earlier games, and the fact that there's no hookshot in that game is a little bit of a letdown to me. Well, with the sequel coming up, too, I I think they're definitely going to take into account some of the things that definitely were complaints moving forward uh, from Breath of the Wild. A lot of people were very upset with it moving into the game, but I feel when they got the idea of what the game was doing, where it was a big focus on exploration, kind of taking it back to that feeling of the first game, where you knew nothing, there was no indications of anything, you just kind of wander around and hope for the best. Yeah, you can even just... miss the sword at the beginning of yeah. the game. Yeah. I did really like that, um, and I look forward to seeing what they do with it. It's just, I think they need to take some of the stuff they did in Breath of the Wild and bring in some of the stuff that was really successful from earlier games, but keep that idea of wide open world, explore as you see fit. I have so many stories from people I've talked to who played Breath of the Wild, and they're like, oh, I need to go east? What happens if instead of going east, I go south? Oh, I die. What if I go north? I definitely die as I walk up towards Hyrule Castle and every single one of the guardians decides to kill me. 
And it's just like this fun little bit. Maybe of I'll like, try going east. Oh wait, I died. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things of like, yeah, you can absolutely go wherever you want. One of the things I found really cool was before progressing the story at all, I ran around the world and unlocked the whole map, dying repeatedly in the process because of the fact that just getting to the top of some towers is fucking difficult without the proper gear. The one that I had the most trouble getting to the top of was the one at the Twin Peaks. Yes. So it, like, the, it's coming out of the chasm. So if you ran into stamina once, it's like, oh. Uh, the one I had a huge amount of, I had, had a huge amount of difficulty with two of them. One of them was the one in Hyrule Field because it's literally surrounded by guardians and I did not get any ancient weapons before going for it. <laughs> so I could not fight the guardians for the life of me especially the ones that roam around and chase after you. I had to, like, sneak up to the tower and climb up when they weren't looking. <laughs> so that one I had a lot of difficulty with. And then I, the one at the top of the frozen mountain, I didn't bring any fire weapons with me, so I just had to, like, try and, like, maneuver my way to jump up above the ice clustered at the bottom <laughs> to climb, and I was freezing, so my endurance was constantly going down. Uh, the most difficult tower for me was the tower surrounded by the, all the electric enemy types oh. in the rain. Or, well, not really raining when I was there, but all the electric enemies and the water and all the metal blocks that you'd use to jump across the water to get to the tower. Uh, I spent a good while trying to get up there. <laughs> and a good several deaths. Another thing I loved about Breath of the Wild, though, even though it didn't have, like, temples and it had shrines instead, which were, like, very heavily watered-down versions of temples, I loved how much it rewarded you for exploration. Like, you'd just walk up to a lake and, like, just tap your magnesis for a second and there's like three metal things at the bottom of the lake you're like what are those are they chests and you pull them out i'm like no they're metal balls what am i supposed to do with these metal balls and then you look around and like 20 feet away you see like weird bowl shaped things you're like what if i put the metal balls in the bowls over here and you put them in the bowls and then like a shrine pops out of the ground it's like nothing was telling me to do that nothing was pointing me in that direction i was just dicking around and i found some metal balls and put them in bowls and now here's a shrine that's going to reward me for that yeah it definitely was very intuitive with how the game set up with it does like a little bit of handling at the beginning to just kind of teach you the basics and then once you get past that you you'll see things you'll spot things out and it's like hmm a stone circle missing a stone where's that other stone at i feel like if i put it down i'll complete something here yeah i love the tutorial of that game it's so good at just like giving you all the pieces you need like one of the things i didn't even notice the first time i played through i went back and started over and noted it noticed it the second time around which is Inside each of the first shrines when you unlock a power, as you walk out, there's a chest hidden somewhere in the immediate vicinity that requires you to use the power you got in that first shrine to unlock. And, like, I didn't notice at first, but, like, went back and I got the Magnesis one, and uh, at this point I was a little bit more experienced with the game. So I tapped Magnesis, I'm like, oh, cool, there's a chest at the bottom of that lake, and I pulled up the chest. And then I went to the next one, which was the ice one for me, and I went inside, and I'm like, well, let's stick around and see what happens here. And I pull an ice spire, and there's a chest on the top of the ice spire and the freezing water right next to it that I can't go into or I'll die from the freezing water. And it's just like, it's so much, not only like teaches you the basics of the game, but also teaches you to just constantly explore your surroundings because you'll be rewarded for doing so. Yeah, that's, I think the main thing that that game got right was the adventure and the exploration, which I think every Zelda game needs. It needs to have that sense of adventure, the sense of accomplishment when you reach a destination you were finally, or you were trying to get to for the longest time. And now, more than ever, I think Zelda games require some sort of cohesive story. Not necessarily something completely, incredibly fleshed out, but something a little more than just what was in the past. 
Oh, the princess was kidnapped. Save the princess. Oh, the kingdom's in danger. Beat the villain. I'm gonna be the best railroad conductor of all time and build the railroad. Although weird, it had a decent story to it. The railroad tracks being the binds that were holding the villain sealed away. Yeah, and the breaking of the railroad tracks was, uh, tracks was like the breaking of the binds holding them in place, and that's what allowed him to escape. Is an interesting game. One thing I kind of want to bring up with regards to this idea of exploration is one thing, if you've seen the Ego Raptor video he did talking about Legend of his Legend of Awesome series where he was talking about the difference between A Link to the Past and Oracle of Time, or not Oracle of Time, Orcarina of Time, and he's talking about like the differences between these games, and uh, one of the things he talks about is how in Ocarina of Time, it's very much, you're the hero, so you have to do this. Um, and you have to do these things, and you can't do them because you want to. You have to do them because it's the right thing to do. Whereas what he brings up is it very much should be you want to explore as the player, and the game should be you're the hero because you want to explore, and your exploration is what saves the world, not you're the player which makes you the hero, and because you're the hero you have to explore, but the act of being a player and the desire for exploration as a player is what makes you a hero rather than the other way around. Oh, definitely. And I feel Ocarina of Time, even though, like, I, one of my favorite ones in the series and very entertaining, uh, there were spots in the game where I had no interest whatsoever to yeah. do anything in. There there are parts where it got very hand-holdy, and I was just like, this isn't what I want to be doing right now, but because I'm familiar enough with the game, I'm just going to force myself through this portion so I can get to the parts I do enjoy playing. Yeah, yeah which uh, one of them was the whole Gerudo section of the game was really fun, had fun music, and it was interesting to explore and try to figure out you yeah. know, some of the like pathways and the thieves' side yeah, and all that. Because it had a, a much different feel compared to the rest of the game. You were trying to be stealthy and secretive. It was essentially Metal Gear Zelda. It was fantastic because it's like you're examining all of the like marching patterns of all the Gerudos and you got to figure out where they're going so that you can like figure out how to sneak past them and then you free some men and then a lady Gerudo drops down and she's like, I'm not going to call the alarms. I'm going to kill you myself. <laughs> and then you kick the shit out of her and she's like, wow, you're actually pretty cool and then flies off and then you do it a couple times and they're like, wow, you're pretty capable for a man. I guess we'll allow you and no other men into our city. <laughs> Yeah, because the only other male Gerudo turned out to be really, really evil. Kind of a jerk. And then uh, there was other parts of the game that, uh, for example, uh, I personally didn't like the uh, Death Mountain sections of the game. I didn't like the exterior portions of Death Mountain, where it's just boulders flying from the sky and occasionally hitting you, and there's not a lot you can do about it. Or another one that I didn't find fun at all was uh, Inside Lord Jabu Jabu. Yeah, that one was more tedious, the way well, you had to escort. Yeah, look after the princess the entire time, yep. and she started freaking out. If, like, there's a fight scene, you put her down to go fight something, and then she's like, ah, you can't just leave me here. And I'm like, I'm not leaving you here. I'm physically defending you from the enemies that are trying to attack you. But then the fact that she falls in love with you at the end seems kind of forced for story reason. Hey, I'm an interesting character. Okay. Yeah, it felt more so like the creators of the game were trying to create plot investment. And like, <laughs> you spend all this time looking after this character. Clearly the player's going to come to care for them. So, like, we'll have the character fall in love with the player, and since the player's already starting to care for the character, we'll just, like, create this little storyline going forwards. And they don't realize, like, no, the fact that we're looking after this character the entire time, she's fucking exhausting, and I just don't want to interact with her ever again after just that. Just a case of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. The fact that Ocarina of Time was so successful 
in what it did kind of made Nintendo a little wary to stray from the formula that was evidently so perfect for it, them to use. Which is interesting, definitely, because the Zelda series has always been one I find that is very much implementing new things. Uh, every game tends to have, I feel, more so than not, a new mechanic or gimmick, yeah. in a yeah. sense. Uh, for example, Skyward Sword introduced the idea of motion controls. Oh, which... so bad motion <laughs> controls. Good, good idea, but uh, just just the way... Or the, just... the Wii didn't have the hardware to properly incorporate it the way they wanted to. Uh, Orcarina of Time was the one that introduced the concept of time traveling, playing like the younger and older version that had different gear loadouts. Uh, the yeah. world being in two different states has kind of been there for most of the games. Uh, so Dark World... Link Little to the past, world, yeah. all that things. Again, uh, Link Between Worlds introduced the idea of buying and renting items and not getting them from the dungeons and using them in any order you want. Spirit Tracks uh, was a whole idea about trains. So Zelda, what if trains? Uh, and even Wind Waker changed the design. Everyone thought, oh, Zelda needs to be this dark graphic thing. No, like, nope, it, super cute. It was cartoony. And you know how you explore all the land? Well, the land's gone now. Explore these islands. Like, It's always been good at flipping the idea of what adventuring would be in this world and adding a new concept in and it more often not does well people are like i don't want this but then they do want it after they find out what it is and that's what i find most of the games do they introduce a new concept that adds a layer of adventure because you're not just finding out about this world you're finding out about this mechanic i think the games in general they do a really good job of that of innovating and trying new things and seeing what people think of the new things and then I think they're really good at when some they try something new and everyone loves it, they're really good at being like, all right, let's find a way to incorporate that into more things. Like, people loved the fact that money had a purpose in uh, Link Between Worlds. So when they made Breath of the Wild, there's actually so much stuff for you to spend your money on. Like, I rarely felt like I just had a whole bunch of money and nothing to use it on. I was, I was like, oh, I got money. I'm going to use this opportunity to buy a bunch of arrows and food so that I can go cooking later because cooking is fun. And I mean, to be fair, I feel, to me personally, the game that felt like the first time I needed to use rupees properly was Twilight Princess because of rebuilding that goddamn bridge. The bridge in that whole buying up quests to get that hero suit that gave you invincibility at the cost of rubies. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Twilight Princess, I'd say Twilight Princess got kind of the backlash of Nintendo sticking to the same formula of go to these dungeons and save the princess. Because Twilight Princess did get a lot of negative feedback because... It was Orcarina 2.0. Exactly. It followed essentially the exact same formula. Now with Wolf. Now with Wolf. Now with 100% more Wolf. Yep. But then you look at it, it had a much better story, it had a much better assistant character in Midna, instead of having Navi, who's just, hey, listen, watch out. And everyone was, hey, listen, watch out, and Midna was like, what's wrong with you? You're a horrible person. Do this properly, dumbass. And she actually had character development throughout the game. Yeah, like, this game didn't focus, I found, much on Zelda like previous ones do. Zelda was just kind of like, I'm here, hello. Yeah. Although you can't ignore the fact that she had an incredibly tough decision to make when Zant marched into the throne room, ordered her to surrender and lay down her arms, or he would kill the entire kingdom, so she had to make the decision. Oh, definitely, and that's the thing, Zelda's always been personified as the, in, like, the intelligent, smart one, <laughs> and I just, like, I would say Twilight Princess Zelda is actually probably one of my favorite ones for being the most interesting because they took that in the angle of she's cold calculating smart and not oh the people they must be protected it's like man everyone dying that might be bad so i'm just going to sacrifice these few people and get this done i do really like the kind of way that the three main characters of the zelda series kind of fit into the different triforce pieces though where like zelda is 
embodies the Triforce of Wisdom perfectly. And every time the Triforce gets split up, she gets the Triforce of Wisdom because she is the... Time and time again, she proves herself to be the only character who can actually have any amount of foresight as to, like, the implications of the actions that are being taken. Yeah, who's going to plan out the strategy for defending the kingdom? Link? Oh, he's off smashing pots for half of his journey. <laughs> and then Ganon is just power-obsessed and wants to collect all three of them, so it makes the most sense that the one he gets is the Triforce of Power, which makes him immensely powerful. And then Link, just due to the nature of the fact that a player is playing him and a player wants to progress the story, he's going to have courage. He's not going to come across an enemy and be like, eh, I'll wait until the enemies are all gone. That's not how players work when playing video games. So by that very nature, he ends up being a courageous character. And the interesting thing I always found out about the Triforce as well is, now, it as a concept in the universe is, it's not that these three are the only ones that can reuse it essentially, but it only allows you to grant your wish if you embody all three aspects of it otherwise it will shatter and split apart and you have to gain it back after essentially it goes to the people that it feels like embodies the specific uh, elements which, which is why so many times it's Ganon grabs them all and it's like nope you do not embody all three at all you embody power really well you get to keep power courage is going to this little kid who's currently trapped in time and wisdom's going to the princess and then the idea is that once you gather all three pieces back together even if you didn't embody all of it you're the quest that Triforce eventually gave you validates your ability to make that wish. And part of me make, wants to see the concept of not Link, Zelda, or Ganon getting the Triforce. Like, make a, like a spin-off game that happens in like a world where uh, you know they're not present at the moment, but the Triforce is found by somebody, and seeing like the damage that can befell the world because someone who doesn't embody any of those aspects gets a hold of it. Yeah, kind of take the idea of the adult timeline from Ocarina of Time, and instead of... Because in that timeline, Ganon gets it, and he gets all three pieces. Well, he doesn't actually get all three pieces. He gets one of the pieces, but he ends up ruling the world with that one piece. I really like the idea of instead having a timeline where just someone, probably a villain, gets all three pieces, and just like the havoc they wreak with all three pieces... And then having Link essentially be a nobody from this timeline, or the equivalent of Link in this game being a nobody from this timeline, who then has to rise up to oppose this villain who's captured all three pieces. And then we end up having a Link surrogate. We have a Ganon surrogate in the person who actually got the three pieces. And presumably we get a Zelda surrogate at some point. I mean, to be fair, we have other villains that could be used in this as well. They could easily put Vadi in there at some point to use him. Uh, Minish Cap had Vadi as the villain it didn't involve the Triforce specifically. Usually if the Triforce is a key element to the story, it's going to have the three main players in that aspect. Yeah. But definitely they could have like a little spin-off game where, you know, it's Vadi pre-Minish Cap or something like that, and he's doing evil things, and he ends up stumbling across the Triforce because like, oh, I've heard about this. But again, you have to be pretty much one of these three people to use it actually. So him touching it unleashes some sort of like really serious darkness into the world. Now, I just had a thought at this whole concept of someone else outside of the Iconic Three getting the Triforce. In The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, a huge section of the later half of the game is going on a quest to find all of these Sunction shards of the Triforce. Yeah. How do you find them? You find treasure maps. Who do you take the treasure maps to to get them deciphered? Tingle. <laughs> Are you trying to imply that Tingle... What if Tingle, after getting the, those... Uh, treasure charts, decided, you know what? I have a wish I'd like to be made. I love money. 
Let's get more money. He gives you fake charts. He goes out and gets the real Triforce pieces, gets the Triforce himself, okay. and makes a wish. I thought you were going somewhere else with that, which <laughs> is now my favorite headcanon. The place I thought you were going with that was Tingle already had the Triforce, and that's why he can decipher the charts, because he's the one who made the charts in the first place. Tingle had the Triforce, made a wish, except his wish wasn't for money. It was for something else, like the resurrection of someone he cared about or something like that. I don't know. Some weird tingle wish. His wish comes true, but he realizes it was the wrong wish to make. And so he then wishes for his own memories to be erased. <laughs> and to be replaced with a desire for money so that he does not ever become owner of the Triforce again. <laughs> And wasn't there, like, I remember there's like, a bunch of fan theories when it comes to the Triforce as well, like, uh, the hidden fourth part of the Triforce? Yeah, the inverted triangle in the middle? Yeah. I, I remember you bringing that up before and how Impa was apparently supposed to be that fourth bearer. Yeah, I mean, where the she could get the short end of the stick more often than not in this series. Yep. <laughs> it makes sense that if they're going to wipe someone from the time, it would make sense. And that's the thing, too, like, yeah, a lot of characters get reused over and over again, but Impa is also that other core character that seems to be there always whenever the Triforce is involved, but they're not being reincarnated, are they? No, it doesn't seem so, but... Uh, but Skyward Sword shows that Impa's there from the beginning, and she's uh, like a key member to the plot. Yeah. So in if that was the case, and there was a secret fourth piece of the Triforce, where the first three kind of embody courage, wisdom, and power... What do you think the fourth piece would embody if it is embodied by Impa? I've heard a few different things. One of them was suggested was time. Because okay. the Sheikah have also demonstrated time control technologies in different aspects. Uh, yeah, I guess so. They've always had those Sheikah stones where you'd hit them and they'd tell the time. And inadvertently there was the mechanic where you'd smack them a bunch to progress time faster in Ocarina of Time. And then the other example that was given was in Skyward Sword where they, the idea is that the Triforce, uh, the like the premise implication of their great focus of that character, like their big trait, is kind of like the focus there. So Demise is all about power to rule the world. Uh, Zelda makes the smart choice to, you know, sacrifice and go into a sleep to seal away. Link has the courage to face all these trials. And I guess it's because Impa is in two times <laughs> for the most of this game. Uh, another one was Loyalty, which was a suggestion that uh, was related to hers as well, because she's always... Loyal to yeah, Zelda. Zelda. And it would it. make more sense as an actual characteristic. Yeah. Because originally, I... Impa was uh, brought in as one of, technically one of the three guardians of the Triforce, Link, Zelda, and Impa. And Impa was always the storyteller who would bring information to Zelda. Yeah. I know this Devlin isn't the case. I really like the idea of... Impa embodying the characteristic of secrecy. <laughs> the Triforce of Secrets. Well, they're just like imbalance, like courage versus power, because you have to be powerful and you have to be courageous to stand up against that powerful, that powerful character. You have to be wise, you have to be secrecy, uh, secret to keep your secrets uh, from the wise uh, character. Also, if the, the fourth missing piece is the secrecy piece, that just makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the fourth piece? Shh, it's a secret. I mean, she's literally a ninja. Clearly, she's good yeah, at she secrecy. She's kind of pretty much ninjas. They work in the shadows. Also, on that note, the Legend of Zelda Oracle games, Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, they had Din, Nairu, and Furore. They were all, I guess, they weren't the goddesses themselves. They, yeah, were, they were the oracles. The oracles of the goddesses. Furore 
was intended to have her own game, but never had one actually made, I think, due to co time constraints. Yeah, they were trying to pull the Pokemon mechanic of release two sides to one story, and then yep. you want the full story, so, play this one afterwards. So instead, she was implemented as the Keeper of Secrets. So you'd take your secrets to her to implement other game mechanics. Yep. I like this. We have our fourth Triforce piece is the Triforce of Secrecy, embodied by Impa. To the point where, like, no one's ever been able to make a wish before with the Triforce because they didn't know that they secretly don't have all four pieces. <laughs> because Impa's so heavily embodied secrecy, she won't even tell Zelda that there's a fourth piece. You do all this to solve this problem. Yeah, but what about that missing hole? It's not a hole. <laughs> it's not a hole. It's a Triforce. There's just three triangles with an inverted empty space in the middle. Yeah, it's abbreviated to TF, as in Triforce. It definitely doesn't mean Tetraforce. <laughs> yeah. Not Quad Force either. But, uh, but no, the, the Red King, or the King of Lions from Wind Waker, he made a wish at the end of the game to seal Ganon. Uh, and also, I believe, at the end of, I think it's The Adventure of Link, uh, use the Triforce to wake up Zelda, who's in, like, the internal sleep from that evil wizard. And at the end of Link Between Worlds, you make a wish to restore Low Rule's uh, original Triforce because they destroyed their Triforce because it kept causing wars and uh, you restore it to restore peace to their land or something like that. Yeah. Or more wars. Yeah, so there are instances of wishes being made. I know yeah. my theory doesn't quite hold, but I do really like the idea of there being a fourth piece. Yeah, well, that's the thing with the Triforce. It's usually a physical item that's used for granting a wish if it's physically in the game. More often than not, I feel like it's used to make yeah. that wish. Uh, otherwise, it's kind of just a MacGuffin of like indicating power. That's why in the Ocarina of Time game, it appears as a symbol on the hand of the users indicating it. And it does show up in the Descendants as well as indicated with Twilight Princess. And uh, Even also... it doesn't have the Triforce in it itself. Although it can be expected that the Triforce did manifest at some point in that game, potentially, because of the, the Hero Fails timeline, the Hero Defeated. Ganondorf successfully makes his wish on the Triforce, but just due to his nature and his desires, his form is corrupted into that of the pig monster. Yep, Ganon. So, we've brought up the confusion of timelines. Do we want to just dive in and sink our teeth into this timeline and go into the intricacies of how you end up with a single timeline that splits into three, that eventually merges back into one? Yep, so essentially the timeline goes, it starts off with Skyward Sword being apparently the first uh, incarnation of the characters. Uh, though there's a, some supplement material that makes it seem like there's something prior to that or just after that, also known as the Link with the Red Scarf. Yep. Uh, but essentially it's uh, a few adventures here and there. Uh, nothing really serious involving Ganondorf until we get to the point of Orkran of Time where Ganondorf finally appears. So... The, yeah, this curse of reincarnation doesn't really hit until a good time later after the whole demise debacle. Yeah, the first two uh, kind of keep reincarnating. And yeah, it's Minish Cap and Four Swords, which are both involving Vadi. Yep. Yeah. And Vadi introduced as a Minish, who was always picked on and obtained this hat that would grant him a wish of power. And then Orchid of Time is the game where really the Ganondorf stuff starts and Ganon starts popping up. Uh, this is the game that they decided what if would be a story option. So there's the timeline where after Link defeats Ganondorf uh, at the end, he goes back in time. So there's a timeline that continues down that new path where he yeah. defeated him. So everyone's aged up and Link gets removed. Uh, so all the bad stuff still happened and it's going to continue, but at least Ganondorf's gone. Yep. There's the child heiress who goes back in time to the moment he left and warns Zelda about what happens. And then she gets Link to leave with the uh, Orcrin of Time so that the 
gate can never open up, which means Ganondorf is just kind of wasting his time. Yep. And yeah. then they successfully seal Ganondorf away. Yeah, because he kind of gives up on, well, if I'm not going to well, get the Triforce, then I'm going to just brute force my way through this. Well, it's more in that timeline they go for an execution. Yeah. It's really an execution. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the you-lose timeline. Yeah. So they introduce time travel in Ocarina of Time, which is the first one that has any aspect of time travel, chronologically at least. And well, no, because... Oh. In release order, yes, but chronologically, that would be Skyward Sword. Yeah, I, release order, I mean. So, it is the first one that has kind of this time travel to the point where the time travel creates multiple timelines, and from that, they create three separate timelines from a situation that really only needs one, or needs two if you ask me, but whatever, because the idea of Link losing does not really fit within the game because if you played the game through to completion, Link doesn't lose. If you stop playing the game through to completion, canon doesn't matter to you with regards to what happens at the end of the game. As video games usually work, it doesn't matter how many times they beat you, you just need to win once. Yeah. yeah. Despite the fact that they went the way of splitting it up into three separate convoluted timelines instead of putting it all together in a single cohesive, I guess, linear path. I do like that they entertained the idea that Link could have potentially lost in that penultimate battle. Well, the thing I find interesting about this is the timeline's supposed to branch because of the use of the Orca Arena. So the fact that, you know, there's the timeline where he's an adult, defeats Ganondorf, goes back in time, that timeline's not going to end because of that. Otherwise, it should have reset itself as soon as he defeated him and got the Triforce back. It should have just canceled that all out. Yeah. So him going back in time also should technically reset that timeline, if you think about it, because he changes what happened. But since it doesn't, those two make sense. If there's a timeline where he dies, shouldn't that be the primary timeline? Because that means it doesn't get resolved any other yeah. way. Yeah, if there's a timeline where he dies... it. So the idea that there is a timeline where he dies and also uh, two separate timelines based off of him winning in that fight implies that all of the other games, there's the potential for split-off of just you losing at some point during that game, and it's splitting into further timelines, in which case the Zelda timeline shouldn't look like a fork with a single branch and then splitting into three. It should look like a inverted tree, which is constantly splitting into more and more paths, where it's like, you win this game, you lose this game. These are the two paths that come out of that. And with some paths that just end because... Hey, the child who is the descendant of this hero from this branch decided, Hey, I'm going to try out my sword. Hey, there's a chicken. I'm going to smack the chicken and then die to a bunch of angry chickens. I do really like the idea of it just being a constant splitting path and like, it splits, there's this game, it splits this game. You can't win this game, so just done. No more timelines off of this one. I mean, with uh, the hero's defeated timeline, it's supposed to end with the adventure of Link because... Ganon dies, and the only way to bring him back is to sprinkle uh, the hero's blood onto his ashes to bring him back. And that's, like, definitively said in the game, like, this is the only way to bring him back, and that doesn't happen. So that timeline does apparently just come to no a stop completely right there with the adventure of Link. Uh, and then, of course, there's the newest game there, too, uh, which is Breath of the Wild, which essentially how this one works is the timeline converges back on itself, because instead of, you know, sticking to this idea of we have three different timelines, they decide, well... We don't want three different timelines anymore because we don't want to think about what we're putting in the game, Easter egg-wise. So they kind of just say, screw it, and say, it happened so far in the future, everything else happened. Yeah, it's this happened so distantly in the future that time for everything else to happen has happened. And also, Calam Calamity Ganon is a big enough calamity that it forces the times to converge on themselves with things happening distant enough in the past that 
it's hard to distinguish whether you're the one where A happened first or B happened first. Yeah. And I remember that was a big issue when the game first came out where people were like, well, you know, it's got references to Tingle and, you know, the Tingle. events that happened in Wind Waker, but also mentioned stuff that happened in Twilight Princess and, and mentioned Twilight Realm. It's like, okay. And it has Lawn Lawn Ranch from Ocarina of Time. Well, that, that one's fine because the Lawn Ranch is before this weird splitting. So, in theory, Lawn Lawn Ranch is in all three of the timelines, except maybe not so much in the adult link timeline. Because that one, the world was literally flooded, so you think that would remove such memorable sites as Lon Lon Ranch? Yeah, especially since they were made of wood, mostly. Yeah, that seems like the kind of thing that'd be destroyed in an everlasting flood. Yeah, but the remains of uh, Lon Lon Ranch are in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Actually, uh, it plays like uh, a sad version of a bonus song when you walk over it faintly. Yeah. Oh my, I can still remember my first time encountering that. I walk upon the structure from the south, as most people would, heading towards the castle. You walk through this wooden archway, you're like, huh, this looks familiar. And then you climb a tower that's on the other side and just look back, and you just see the skeletal remains of that once iconic ranch where you first got your horse. And another interesting thing about this timeline is they're always, like, the map... Again, also a very iconic setup of, like, places. Yeah. But they're never right where you'd expect them to be with, you know, how just geography works. Uh, I feel like every other game, they're flipping Death Mountain and Zora's Domain. Yeah, it's always... So there's the kind of... If you go in an arc around uh, the world from south to north, you tend to go from Lake Hylia to Kakariko Village to one of those two to the other one... Then you get around to, like, Hyrule Castle. And, and that's then on, usually of, on the opposite side is the desert. Yeah, and usually on the opposite side is the desert. And, like, Kakariko Village, Lake Hylia, the desert, and Hyrule Castle tend to have roughly the same location. Like, they split up how close they are or how far apart they are sometimes. But that's the kind of thing you can expect. But for whatever reason, it just keeps swapping. Death Mountain is closer to Kakariko Village. Nope, it's actually Lake Hi or it's actually the Zoro Domain. Nope, it's actually Death Mountain. Nope, it's Zoro Domain. You see, I'm fine with cities moving. So Kakariko being in different locations, I'm fine with. Uh, Gruta uh, Village being in different places, I'm fine with. Even, like, Castletown being in different places, I'm perfectly fine with all of those. But when Death of Mountain is moving its way around the map randomly, that's yeah. where the issue starts popping up. Yeah. Sure, plate tectonics is a thing, but unless there's apocalyptic levels, earthquakes that just wipe out the entire population from generation to generation, yeah, that's not happening. Counterpoint, this world is actually built on the back of several giant tortoises, and two of the tortoises are doing that, like, stare down where they're facing each other and constantly work, walking in circles. And one of them has the Zoro domain on its back, and the other one has Death Man on its back. It's the world So turtle. they're constantly swapping places. I'd rather be giant Dodongos. Ooh, giant Dodongos would be great. Uh, but yeah, essentially, the general idea of what the map is is usually Death Mountain up in the top right uh, with Zora's domain or, or something along the lines, usually in the middle right. The bottom uh, to the bottom right tends to be a forested area. The left side usually beats the desert, and then usually smack dab in the middle is Castletown. Yeah. And then you've usually got Lake Hylia somewhere to the south. Yeah, but it's usually either really close to Zora's Domain or moved over. But even with a lake, I can let something slide with that. Yeah. The one thing that kind of confuses me sometimes with that is, like, the Deku Tree is another one of those things that 
I don't really like it just getting up and moving to different parts of the world. Like, we have some reference point for it in the fact that during Ocarina of Time, the Deku tree dies and you kind of plant a sapling of it and a new Deku tree starts to grow. So in theory, who knows? Maybe the Deku tree keeps dying and new saplings get planted in different places every time it dies. But, like, when we see it happen the first time, its sapling is planted directly in front of the original Deku tree, which would imply, like... They probably aren't carrying the sapling across the world to plant it somewhere else. Whereas in most of the games, the forest tends to be in like the southeastern kind of section. And then in Breath of the Wild, smack dab in the north. That's where the Deku tree now exists. Yeah. True. But then uh, you look at Wind Waker, the entire world flooded. So technically, the forest has migrated to the top of the mountain. And we could even look at Twilight Princess for that as well, where uh, the forest is very clearly built around uh, Twilight Princess the old remains of the Temple of Time. And the Temple of Time was in the middle of the castle. And the castle town is now very far up north from that. So Pharaon Woods moved, apparently. Yep. Oh, and took over the kingdom, I guess, so they built further away. But with that as well, Kakariko and Death Mountain didn't move? Nope. Also, the Temple of Time in Breath of the Wild is not still in the middle of uh, Pharaon Woods. It's now on top of the Great Plateau. Which is another thing that's weird to explain, because what exactly is the Great Plateau and why is it there that way? Yeah. I don't know. Stuff happens. Don't worry about it. Stop questioning things. Maps are weird. Ma it's it, They clearly couldn't have just drawn a single map and then just transposed that into every game, because that would get boring real well, quick. Oh, and I completely agree. Like, having the exact same map would be boring, but I would like at least a little bit of, of structure there. Like them having a general map of like this is where death mountain is this is where lake hylia is this is where Farron woods is we can mess around with the stuff in between it but those three should be relatively the same spot and like i said you can move the towns and the people around easily they don't have to be constantly like for example zora's domain you don't have to have it in the same area all the time it just needs to be near a body of water yeah uh the grudos maybe something happens and they move further or further out of the desert uh, Kakariko can be really wherever it wants because the people are always killed off between game and it's a small remnant yeah. of them left. I think that would be a really cool thing for them to play around with where they have like Death Mountain and Lake Hylia and Farron Woods be the same, but they do move around the settlements. But also if you go to the spot, if they did have like roughly similar enough maps, if you go to the spot where Kakariko Village was in the previous game... You see, like, remains of, like, some terrible extinction-level event that clearly people evacuated to and formed a new Kakariko village on the other side of the map. It's just size as Helians were here. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Link. For, like, his, for most of the races, they don't need the specific area. They need a specific element. Gorons need rocks, because that's what they eat. They like hot rocks more, so I guess they would like to be close to Death Mountain, because I think they've established in most games that... The ones that come from inside the volcano are the best. Yeah, those are the tastiest of rocks. Zoras just need water. Yeah. Uh, in uh, the uh, Majora's Mask game, they weren't even at what we know as Zora's Domain. They were in the Great Bay. Yeah, I can't remember if they actually... I think there might have been a Zora's Domain in there. Yeah. Because there was a separate area that you loaded into, but it was in the Great Bay area. Yeah, so it's not that it has a... Like, Zora's Domain is just a city, really. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter where it's at as long as there's water. The only There's only really one race I can think of that kind of has a lockdown, like they have to be here, and that's the Kokiri. Yes, they're kind of tied to the uh, well, Deku tree a little bit. Well, even that, 
I'm not really so sure, because sure, they say they can't leave the forest or else they die, but at the end credits, when you beat the game of Ocarina of Time, you see the Kokiri celebrating with everyone else at Lalnan Ranch. Clearly, they can leave the forest. And you don't see them in any other games after that. Oh, <laughs> not only that, what if the reason they can't leave their forest is because, like, the same reason that, like, if we were to time travel to the past, we would die and probably everyone back there would die because we have, like diseases in our body that they're not used to and they have diseases in their, in their body that we're not used to what if the kokiri or the reason they can't leave the forest is because they have something weird where if they mix with hylians they all die off from something the hylians have and the hylians all die off from something they have and the kokiri are the first plague that eliminated the <laughs> hylians and then uh beyond that too the, they turn into another species uh, the name's something skull like kids no, not Skull Kids. Uh, later on, they're the little plant people. Are they still called the Kokiri? Koroks? Koroks. Koroks, right. Koroks right. is what the Kokiri apparently become. So it could be something like the they die might have been just like, you know. They metamorphosis into, into something else. So like the, the humanoid Kokiri stop existing because they left the forest. So the magic doesn't maintain the Peter Pan-esque style of this village. And they turn into these little plant people. Right. And then in Wind Waker, they assist in spreading the seeds of the Deku tree to other islands. Yeah. Yeah, so it could have been more of like just a hypothetical they die, but still doesn't change the fact that they kind of are stuck being close to it with the Dago tree, which is usually always in Farron Woods of some sort. Yeah. Even though in Ocarina of Time, I don't think it's listed as the Farron Woods. I believe it's just the Kokiri Forest or the Lost yeah. Woods. Yeah. I got a question for you guys. Over, because we have kind of discussed already how some of the bosses are just super cool in this game, and like some of the bosses were a little bit of a letdown. Over the entire series, do you guys have a favorite boss that you fought? A favorite boss fight? Uh, there's definitely a lot of cool ones in there. Uh, like Bongo Bongo was always a very like, interesting one. I, I do really like the Bongo Bongo because you're literally on a drum as he taps the drums. Uh, another one from Orca No Time is Phantom Ganon. That one was always fun too. Phantom Ganon is always incredibly iconic. Because uh, what was Phantom Ganon? It was some sort of manifestation being controlled by a mask that Ganondorf created. Yeah, man. The whole idea of it, like, coming out of the photos and uh, just charging at you. Yep. And then starting the whole Dead Man's Volley game. <laughs> that was a very cool fight every time. Because the first time you do it, you don't really know what's going. He just shoots fucking balls of psychic energy at you. And you don't really know how to handle it. And then you're like, well, I have a sword that's supposed to repel evil. I'm just going to, like, swing at it. And then it bounces back. And you're like, holy shit, i got to play tennis with my sword right now? <laughs> and it's phenomenal. Or a fishing rod or a bottle. Yes. Apparently some things made a little bit less sense than others. Now, my favorite boss fight cinematically was definitely the final fight in Twilight Princess. Because there's the first stage in the castle where Ganondorf takes over Zelda's body possesses her as Puppet Zelda, and then he turns into the Twilight Beast, Ganon. And then you have an amazing horseback battle in Hyrule Field across essentially the entire field against Ganon. And then that finally all just culminates into this amazing one-on-one -on -one sword fight until he bring out the fishing hook, then he just stares at it and does nothing. Uh, for me, I would say, even though I said Breath of the Wild had temple fights essentially were bad, the final fight with Ganon that starting with you falling into the underground chamber and having to fight him there, going out into the field and fighting the giant Calamity Ganon was pretty cool. The scale of that, and it, it kind of the same as you, the cinematic of it was what made it real cool. Mechanically-wise, though, the fight that I enjoyed the most was actually Twin Rova in Ocarina of Time. 
Mm. Because that was so different from what the rest of the fights were. Because you needed the mirror shield to reflect the opposite you needed element to get onto them the opposite to side. Deal damage to each other. So just the concept of having that in the game made it so interesting. For like the grandest scale, I would say the end of Breath of the Wild. Though, if you want just like an iconic villain throughout the series, Dark Link has always been a fun one. Yeah, that was going to be my answer. Was Dark Link, uh, just from like. The first time I encountered Dark Link was in Ocarina of Time in the Water Temple when you're walking through like the weird wide open room with the water and like a single island and you get to the center and then you see Shadow Link and you have to fight him and he's mirroring you and using your own attacks against you. I love that fight for so many reasons. And the cool thing about Shadow Link whenever he shows up too is they always subtly hint it too. So you'll have a shadow when you walk into the room or a reflection that just disappears yeah. and if you're not really paying attention you won't notice. And then if you're paying attention and you're like, oh, wait, where'd my shadow go? All right, get ready for a badass fight because I'm going to have to fight myself in a second. <laughs> the fun part of the water temple. And it's always like, it's one of those things where it's just like shows you how horrifying the world would be if Link were a villain instead of a hero. And the power he would have to use against the people of Hyrule if he wanted to. I Which itself could be a really cool concept for a game or maybe you play from the point of view of zelda and link's been corrupted so he's one of the villains you have to like try to save like reversing the roles almost he's like the final boss because you have to like defeat all the other villains so that you can get the pieces necessary to like cleanse him and then you have to defeat him in battle so that he's incapacitated so you can actually cleanse him and then the final battle of the game is like him resting in a bed while you fight ganon who was the one who initially corrupted link I actually really like that as a story in general of just Ganon, Ganon being aware of the past and knowing what happens each and every time and realizing rather than corrupting everything around him to try and defeat Link, corrupting Link to defeat everything around him. Yeah, And uh, that kind of connects to my hopes for the next Legend of Zelda game that's coming, that trailer that we saw at E3 this year. The one we're dubbing Death of the Wild until we have a better name for it. Yeah, Death of the Wild definitely is, would be a cool name for it. And it seems to be hinting that Zelda might possibly be a playable character, which would be a cool idea. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys looked into any of the stuff in it, but the floating hand that's holding down the mummy or whatever it is. The hand in the toilet. <laughs> well, no, the uh, text on it. There's text on the hand that like uh, the streams are spelling something out. Oh, and yeah. Apparently it's Gerudo text with the word Seal Ganon. Ooh. So the idea that a lot of people are having is that corpse we're seeing on the ground is Ganondorf. So now that Ganon's fully gone, what happens to the person Ganondorf? And the idea is just like Zelda was held in an animated state within the Ganondorf egg uh, for most of Breath of the Wild, Ganondorf is also kept in a somewhat physical state. Uh, so the idea is that now that Ganon's gone and there's nothing there anymore, the only thing left is the seal put on by the Gerudo, which is preventing Ganondorf, and the opening of the game will be you accidentally unsealing him. And that's the hand, you know, grab and link and all that. So the idea is that maybe what's happening is uh, you might be able to switch between the characters throughout the game, or some people are even thinking that Link will end up getting sealed by it instead, and you're playing Zelda trying to free him from it and put Ganondorf back in. Wait, if you're playing a Zelda, should it just be called The Legend of Link? I've heard that. Could be. Seeing the trailer, I was hoping that finally we'd have a different villain aside from Ganondorf. Sure, we've had other villains in the past, like Vadi, but uh, in the final fight against Ganondorf, Zelda says that he's put aside all ideas of reincarnating. He's just bringing out his full power just for this final encounter to end everything. So I was hoping that that was the end of the cycle. The cycle was finally broken. But after seeing that trailer, 
it as much as I'd like that not to be Ganondorf, it is very much looking like it will be Ganondorf. Well, the thing about that, it, too, it, the cycle could very well be broken, that he used essentially his all of his power for that final attack, which didn't work, and because of that, he can't reincarnate anymore. But I've always, even though it takes Ganondorf to make Ganon, I've never viewed them always directly as the same character. Ganon, I've always felt, uh, seen as the, as of the whole uh, story of Skyward Sword, that that's the demise power fully influencing through him. Because we've seen that Ganondorf isn't always necessarily a villain per se. No. Yeah. I mean, he first showed up in Ocarina of Time as Ganondorf, a man from the Gerudo Desert. The first male Gerudo in a hundred years or something like sure. that. Sure. He had sinister intentions, like and he was greedy for power, but that was it. He was just a normal man. It wasn't until he came into contact with the Triforce that he started to become influenced by that. So maybe that's how Ganondorf got mixed into the whole mix. And uh, was it Ganondorf from uh, Wind Waker itself? Uh, even though he's the villain of the series, he seems very aware of the cycle and the things going on. And it almost feels like he doesn't want the cycle to continue in a sense. Yeah. What if they really, really... There's no way it happened, but like if they really flip the script for the upcoming Zelda ga- Legend of Zelda game, somehow you're right, like... Link breaks the seal and frees Ganondorf from the seal placed on him by the Gerudo people. And in doing so, somehow the demise manages to corrupt Link. And then you have to play as Ganondorf fighting back the hordes of evil. Because Ganon used up all of his power, so Ganondorf has been drastically weakened. And now you have to fight as Ganondorf through hordes of evil to defeat Link. Well, that's the thing about the game, too. We know that this one is a direct sequel to the first one. And they have to do some sort of reset... Yeah. Or they have to add something new in. So we have the two options. It's either you're playing as a new character who doesn't have the tablet and the abilities associated with it, so you have to regather them in a sense. Or they're going to have to add new things in, which could be the return of items such as the hookshot or other such things like that, where you're actually gathering items now that you have the core set. Even if they do add in new stuff, they're still going to have to do some sort of reset on Link because you cannot start out that game with, like, 20 hearts and three full bars oh, yeah, of stamina. No. They're going to have to punch you in the gut real hard and reset your hearts and stamina at well, some actually, point. the hand where it's sealed again, and they could even be that it's sealing your power. Yeah, because in the trailer we see Zelda has her Sheikah Slate back. We were just borrowing it in the first Breath of the Wild. But also you see Link saves Zelda from falling, but then he starts to fall himself, and then the hand grabs him and saves him. But then you also see that that hand affixes itself to his own hand and arm. So maybe he's going to have some sort of mechanic with that hand to offset Zelda using the Sheikah Slate now. It turns into a stylish action uh, slashing game, kind of like Double May Cry. <laughs> you got the double arm. What's it? Uh, God, God arm? God fist? Oh, the game from Capcom God Hand? God Hand, that's the one. But yeah, no. he's literally got a hand of God. <laughs> but no, I've seen plenty of theories online that... Ganondorf's coming back, and he's going to be, since we beat Calamity Ganon, we'll have essentially removed the corruption from him, so he'll be on our side to fight and break the curse. And that's the thing, like, Demise could be, like, freed now that Calamity Ganon's gone, and Ganondorf is in no way able to fight against him. Because, sure, Ganondorf was sealed there, and we saw all the dark energy that was from Calamity Ganon swirling around. I can't really recall if it was flowing out of the body or flowing into it, or if it was just swirling around the area. Uh, For the most part, I think it was swirling, but I think it was coming from the body Mm. of Calamity. Yeah, I think you're right. I do really like the idea of... 
I've said this so many times already, and I hate the fact that I keep saying it, but them flipping the script, them subverting expectations, and them having Ganon as an ally, if not a playable character, then yeah, as an ally to the characters in this game. And the cool thing about this too would be the Triforce seems to be the thing that you would expect to be able to beat uh, so Demise. you have the three embodiments of the Triforce working together to defeat Yeah, so Demise, Demise and the uh, Cycle can never be defeated because the Triforce was never united to work against Demise in that way. But if that is what happens and Ganon ends up on your side helping you def- pretty much stop the Cycle, well, that's the time to do it. You bring Ganon onto the side of good and they combine their forces of the Triforce because each of them embody the primary aspect of it. And maybe that's what it means by combining it grants the wish. Right, because... Ganon, according to Zelda, Ganon cannot reincarnate anymore. What about Ganondorf? Since Ganon is destroyed, that's separated from Ganondorf, so it's looking like he may actually be free from this. Or at least the Ganon side of things, because Ganon was the manifestation of the power Triforce and the corruption. So if they do actually end up going that way, where it's the three characters working together to defeat Demise, that does kind of put a nice little bow and finish off the Legend of Zelda storyline because the big bad, not even like the big bad that everyone thinks of, but the big bad who was controlling the one everyone thinks of has now been defeated by the two heroes slash villain that have now been turned into three heroes. So that kind of... I don't think they would ever stop making Zelda games at this point. It's a guaranteed way to make money for them. But with Breath of the Wild and its sequel being so far in the future from the rest of the series, they have a lot of room to fill things out if they want to. Yeah, and I would love to see other side stories from other characters and other perspectives. You just want more Tingle games, Matt. We know. No, I... uh... Malin's Cocoa Farming Simulator. Oh, I want that group that helps you out in Twilight Princess. Oh, the Yiga Clan? Oh, no, the no. one hunts you in Twilight Princess? No, th- that helps you out. Oh, like the, the ones rebellion. that you meet up in... Yeah, the Rebellion that you meet up in uh, the Tavern. Yeah. I would really enjoy... Milk Bar. <laughs> the Milk Bar. Really enjoy games set in the Zelda universe that are not, like, based around the Link Triforce Zelda storyline. And then occasionally, when you're traveling from one place to another, you might see on the horizon, if you happen to angle your camera the right way, you might see Link... On horseback for oh, a brief instant. For a second, I thought you were going to say you might see the moon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought he was going that way, too. It's like, if you look the right way, you see the moon coming down. <laughs> um, I also really like the idea of, like, a Stardew Long Lawn Ranch, where it's just, like, a farming simula- simulator of you, like, trying to make up enough money to, like, afford to buy a new cow or something like that. But every once in a while, your money's depleted because, and all your pots in your house are broken. <laughs> <laughs> well, with how liberal that Nintendo's been getting with their IP, like making mobile games, let our companies use it, such as you know, Mario and Rabbids, or even uh, uh, was it the, the Cadence of Hyrule? Cadence, yeah, Cadence of Hyrule. I could see them possibly doing something on lines like the people from Stardew. It's like, hey, we'd like to do a Zelda version of this concept. Yeah, I just really like the idea of playing a. Yeah, as I was saying, a game set in like the Zelda universe, but not within the main storyline of you being a hero fighting for the good of the world, but you just being a person trying to get by. Yeah, there's definitely like the world has been built up so much now that it's filled in such a way you could put any story in that world and people I feel would enjoy it without it having to necessarily be a main stake uh, Zelda game in the story. Or like even better, set something in the distant future after whatever the sequel to Legend of uh, Breath of the Wild is going to be called. Something in the distant future after that. And like you play as Link and the resurrections keep happening and bad stuff is going on in the world. And like Link's keyed in to be like, I have to figure out who the villain is and defeat them. 
And it just kind of like turns out that the bad is just society's kind of a dick sometimes. <laughs> it's like there's no evil force corrupting the world. It's just some people are bad and like has to defeat a whole bunch of bad people to try and clean up the world. And on that idea too, like it doesn't necessarily need to be an action adventure game either. Like the world is so well built that you can play anything. Like for example, at the beginning of Run of Time, we know that there's a civil war, or some sort of battle that happened between a bunch of the different groups. This resulted in the destruction of the uh, Kakariko, the Gerudo being uh, subjugated. Are you going where I think you're going? Oh, I was going to say, they could make like a strategy war game or an RTS game. Yeah, that's exactly what I was that conflict. An RTS game where you're like, you choose to play as like, instead of like StarCraft where you're playing as the Terrans, the Swarm, or the Protoss, you're playing as like the Hylians... The Zora or the Gorons. I would love that you RTS also game. Bruno and Kakariko in there yeah. too. I would love that game. Nintendo, make that game. Make it, and I will pay you all of my money. I would actually buy an RTS. Now you could do it as an RPG. Usually, RPGs and action adventure games easily go together. Yeah, just like instead of it being a game where you're playing as Link against a specific enemy, just have it be like an open world Skyrim esque game where you just create a character to play in a Legend of Zelda world. Or even a step further, uh, Breath of the Wild, we know that there's the Gathering of the Champions. Well, that original conflict, he had champions help him. Maybe it's like a turn based RPG game where you have the full roster of the champions that you go around recruiting to fight Ganon in that game. Yeah. So, or dating sim, except instead of like you working up the thing to like love each other, it's just you finding people and like convincing them to build up their loyalty levels where they'll follow you in a fight against Ganon. I mean, that's pretty much already Orcarina of Time because like what Princess Rudo, Zelda, Mary, it's like Saria, like there's all those things going on. Yeah, but in the case of Saria, it's a little weird. She's she looks like a child, but she's like. How many hundreds of years older than you? It's... Hasn't stopped the internet. I'm sure there's also, uh, what's her name from uh, Gerudo, the leader. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's I can't remember move her name. on. Let's just move on. I'm just saying she does make that comment of, you should come back when you're older and the winks at you. True, she does. I would like to see... That's the canon ending. I would like to see a game, or not necessarily a game, but something touching on the big rainstorm that flooded all of Hyrule for Wind Waker. I would like to see... Everyone trying to cope with that rainstorm. Was it sudden or did it happen over several years? The idea of playing as like a Hylian who's alive doesn't know exactly what's going on, but during the time when Ganon first opens up the sacred realm and the sages start flooding the yep. entire planet, and, and you're just, just like playing as a person who's like, the world has started to flood, you have no idea why. You've got to find a way to get your family to like safe ground yeah, or something. It's and like, it's like, a puzzle game of you taking your family. Yeah, like a puzzle adventure. Day one, nothing happens, then the sky grows dark, it starts raining at the end of the day. And then the next day it just keeps raining. And then it keeps raining. And it keeps raining. And like, oh, they could even do it almost Majora's Mask style, where like, time matters. And like, you have to like, find a way to get to the top of the mountain, because that's the only spot where safety's gonna exist, but the path you're following, there's this weird gate that won't open, but if you wait a couple of days, when it's just about to flood, and come back, like... The water levels have forced the gate to open through some weird mechanism that exists. And, and another cool idea of like characters you could follow in this world in a game is the sages. Uh, again, Oracle of Time really showed something cool where sages, they get chosen, and it could be really anyone at uh, any point. Right. So you could have a pretty interesting game with that concept in play. Mm. Uh, and going back to something we mentioned earlier about the concept of a corrupted Link, we actually have already had that in the franchise. Twilight Princess mentions that Lynx succumbed to the power of magic and were corrupted. Right. Because Lynx in the games typically don't ever have their own magic. They're always given to it temporarily. Yeah, they're gifted it by like great fairies. The last one who specifically 
had any magical power, I believe, was the Orca of Time one? Yeah, I don't think of any, I can't think of any since then. Because uh, those fairies didn't give him magical power, they gave him the stones that he used certain magic abilities with, but he already had a magic meter in a sense. He, yes. he was given the magic meter by the fairies, and like he didn't have magic himself, so the only way he could replenish that was through drinking like mana or magic potions. I guess the next closest idea of magic would be the link from link between worlds because it's not magic of his own but he is able to use magical artifacts to do things that are magic approximations in that case the only link i can probably think of that used magic themselves would be the ones from the original one zelda one and two yeah because all the others just had tools that let them use magic yeah so that could be an interesting idea like we've had corrupted links mentioned but we've never seen one in action that could be Definitely oh, something could be explored more. The idea of playing as a Link who's gifted magic abilities and, like, having to fight the corruption that's slowly taking over your mind. That'd be a really interesting... I don't know how exactly... Another Dark Link fight? I don't know exactly how <laughs> they would handle it, but it would be really fascinating to see, like, you're given, like, the ability to gain magic abilities, but the more magic you have the more you have to fight against the idea of corruption taking over. Yeah, you. and so like, slowly turning into Dark Link. And, kind, yeah. of, kind of like Breath of the Wild, where you can uh, choose to go to the Divine Beasts to make the final boss easier, or go straight to the final boss and have a hard fight. Like, in this game that we're thinking of right now, is you can choose to adventure, explore through the land, collect all these magics to make yourself more powerful, but in turn making the final boss a dark version of yourself more powerful. But just imagine, you walk through the room... You walk into the boss room, and the fight starts. You win. Turns out the one of you that won, when you walk through, your perspective is shifted, so you're actually playing the villain that you actually came to defeat. Oh, that'd definitely be a cool idea. And again, going back to Twilight Princess, when we see the ma like the manifestation and the flashback of these corrupted links, they show up as the dark links as well. So it could be something that just is inherent there with links. I can't remember Skyward Sword if they mentioned anything that would indicate that when he's reincarnated, there's a dark side to him as well, or some sort of corruption that was forced into him in his fight with Demise. I don't think they ever mentioned that. It's not ringing any bells to me. But yeah, no, what is it? I think even uh, you can get the Darkling costume in Breath of the Wild, and I think it even mentions that like it's a demon of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's something like they'll elaborate on in the future when we find it that like Darkling is actually a corruption that's been in him for so long because of the initial fight with demise yeah oh bringing it back to like my earlier reference of like one set in the distant future and like link realizing there's evil in the world and trying to like run out the evil instead of discovering that there's no demise behind it realizing it's like a corruption inside himself that is having a negative impact on the hylians all around him and it's the reason he sees corruption everywhere he goes is because he physically brings the corruption with him wherever he goes. With the idea of like moving forward in the franchise, with the next one obviously being Breath of the Wild 2, is there anything you're really hoping they add to the game or something you're looking forward to do? Uh, I'm hoping, because most of the games that we have in the series, uh, like I've said before, have more just upbeat kind of air to them. Like Ocarina of Time, I'm sure it had those horror-esque moments, but it's all 
adventure exploration and you're not going to be terribly scared of anything. The only really dark game we had was Majora's Mask, with dark tones of distress, despair, and uh, just not accepting what was happening at the time. Well, that's why everyone thinks that it's like, well, the Link's dead theory uh, of the game where yeah. he's which, actually in purgatory. Which I have issues with, especially since they came out with certain clarifications. But I'm hoping that the sequel that we're getting to Breath of the Wild takes that darker shift again that Majora's Mask took from Ocarina of Time. Well, yeah. it's definitely going to be using assets over again, and part of me really hopes, even though the goddamn trailer shows Hyrule Castle also lifting out of the ground, but I was hoping we'd be able to actually get some time to explore it without the corruption around. I like the idea of it opening up with you being able to explore Hyrule Castle after the corruption's been removed, and then as you're exploring, that's when you stumble across Ganondorf and release the seal on him. I just realized something. Because uh, just prior to recording this, we watched some uh, video about Breath of the Wild, about uh, the Forgotten Temple that you find in a large canyon to the west of the map. Yeah, we end up getting the wild rope, or outfit, essentially. Yeah. And the uh, person who made the video, it was their hypothesis that that statue was the one from up in uh, Skyloft. And when they sealed Demise, it fell down on top of Demise. Sure, according to that theory, it's... Uh, over in the west in that canyon, in that Forgotten Temple. What are you suggesting that instead of being in the west, it's in the dead center of the map where the castle is? Where the is, castle is. And the castle lifting up is actually Demise physically is lifting up. Demise coming back up and the castle's being pushed back up, maybe off of Demise or maybe back into the sky. So you're saying I'm not going to get to explore the castle town? Uh, maybe? Maybe not? Let's go with my idea where you get to explore it first and then after a certain point of exploration... You've released Demise and you don't get to explore it ever again. I also really like the idea... So I definitely feel like this one, based on the trailer alone with all the kind of undead motifs that we get to see throughout the trailer, I think it definitely is at least suggesting that it's going to lean into the darkness a little bit more, which is very good. I don't... I like the idea of a kind of a darker Legend of Zelda. I like the, like, super cute, like, fun ones, but I also really like the dark ones. And I think them leaning into the darkness for this one would be... A really nice kind of palette cleanser from the more recent ones, which is a little bit... Especially since our first, I guess, experience with Breath of the Wild is coming out to this fantastic sunrise over this clean landscape. And I really like the idea of, like, if that is Demise crawling up from underneath the castle, just it's slowly wiping out Hyrule as we know, and, like, all of the landmarks we're familiar with just slowly get destroyed by Demise. Like, first it destroys uh, the castle... And the first thing it does is it heads due north and it destroys Pharaoh Woods. And the Deku Tree is gone. That avenue of hope is just gone for you for the rest of the game. Stuff like that. It's just slowly wiping out landmarks that you know about. And then that would also leave a clean slate for a new world to explore. And then they wouldn't have to fuck around with the map being the same. Because the demise literally, like, erases all the landmarks we know well, of. There's obviously going to be something that shakes up the map, so... I feel like they are going to use, for the most part, the same map, but there's going to be some very serious differences. It could even be that this game takes place a couple of years after, so some places that were abandoned are more lived in now. Maybe, you know, people move back into the castle. It's like, yeah, we can refill it again, and then this shit happens. Oh, how dark would it be if it, like, opens up on, like, similar to the way Mass Effect 3 opens up on, like, a family, like, playing in the woods, or not in the woods, in, like, the city before it gets attacked by the Reapers? Like... This game just opening up with, like, a family who's moved back into Hyrule Castle, and they're living in Hyrule Castle, and then it just cuts to Hyrule Castle getting demolished as Demise lifts it up out of the ground. 
and the castle's just eliminated, and you just see a, like, child hand reaching out from underneath a boulder and then collapsing to the ground. <laughs> it's like, hey, you saved the city, and so now people move back into the castle, and everyone who moved back into the castle is dead, and their blood is on your hands. And the other thing that works with this, too, if it is Demise that's in there, uh, the Breath of the Wild series does put a more emphasis onto bigger bosses as well, and Demise fits in well with that. Yeah. I really like the idea of Demise coming up, and then you... Oh, there's no way this happens, but if it does, it'd be so cool. You essentially Voltroning the four divine beasts into one mega divine beast to fight against Demise. <laughs> I think you mean the five divine beasts. You're forgetting about the robotic horse motorcycle. Yes, of course, the five divine beasts. I wonder how they're going to explain that. Or that away. Because <laughs> they're going to have to, because not everyone had a DLC. Yeah. Uh, Link got a little excited one day, accidentally drove it into a ravine. <laughs> or... Link did a few too many drugs in the middle of Breath of the Wild, and none of it actually happened. He ate too many mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, that's also quite a few things they're going to have to explain away. They're going to need to explain away what happened to the Divine Beasts. Why aren't they working? Is it something like the spirits are gone now because the Ganon was defeated, so they don't work anymore, but then how yeah. would you power them again? Oh, that could be a really fun mechanic. It's like, the Divine Beasts still exist, and the thing is you needed the champions to pilot them for them to work, so the Death of the Wild, or whatever it's called is you going back around to, like, the descendants of the original champions and, like, having to rescue them from some shenanigans so that they can become the champions of the Divine Beasts again. Because the original champions, their purpose was to defeat Calamity Ganon. So the moment that Calamity Ganon was defeated, they moved on to the afterlife, their task complete. And so now you have to find new champions to pilot each of the Divine Beasts. Yeah, and ho hopefully I would like them to bring back more unique bosses and not just the same boss, but with a different weapon in each different uh, temple or fortress or whatever yeah. they're going to do. I also think if they do bring in the Demise, I think it would be really cool if they did kind of go back to a little bit more of the original formula where, like, in addition to these Divine Beasts, there are also temples you have to go to awaken Link's power again because, like, yeah, Link, something about him releasing Ganon... Uh, Ganondorf seals his power away, and you have to go to different temples to reawaken your power. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they did say they were going to work on actual dungeons for this one. Because I really like the, like, seven temples or whatever. It doesn't have to be seven, but, like, there were seven temples throughout all of them where you found a sage, and awakening the sages awakened Link's power so that he could fight Ganon properly. And I really like the idea of you going back to, like, seven different dungeons and finding seven different sages. Well, that's the thing. Seven uh, has always been a prominent number in the storyline for the seven sages. Even uh, seven gets mentioned in Breath of the Wild because there's the seven maidens, and those are possibly an allusion to the seven sages and all of the things associated. Eighth maiden. Don't know what that's about. So yeah, this idea of, like, you going to seven different temples to, like, awaken some sages or whatever, and then you also have to find guardians, and it's... Less about Link collecting gear or stuff like that, and more about Link literally collecting people to help him fight against the demise. Collecting people? It makes him sound like a kidnapper. Meh, don't talk about my personal life. And then you take them on a suicide mission, and they have to play it just right, otherwise you fall off of the ship at the end. Yeah, and if you manage to save everyone in the suicide mission, then in the sequel game, they appear as just like random characters throughout the game. Wait, we're still talking about Mass Effect, right? Probably. So, if another fun little question uh, is, uh, Link has had so many tools over the years, so many different items that he's just managed to collect and then use once or twice and then throw away forever. If they do, because I know that was one of the bigger complaints 
uh, online of like, where's my blank? I really enjoyed the boomerang. Why isn't the boomerang in this game? If Nintendo does listen to that kind of shenanigans, what one item from Link's Past would you like to see re-included into this upcoming sequel? Well, I want to point out the boomerang was in Breath of the Wild, just it was so goddamn hard to use, and the one time I did use it, one of the freaking, uh, what are they? The Lizalfos. Lizalfos fucking it. grabbed it out of the air when yeah. I threw it at him. I was like, well, it's his now, and I ran for it. Yeah, boomerang's a bad example, although like a magical boomerang or something like that would be nice. Regardless, for instance, for me, I've already mentioned this, I was very disappointed that the hookshot just didn't appear in this game because the hookshot adds for a lot of fun mechanics for you to play around with. Especially in the 3D Zelda's. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, actually, I think, as opposed to the hookshot, the Wind Waker grapple hook would be a lot more interesting in this new 3D What's world. the difference between the grapple hook and the hookshot? Because the grapple hook was actually a grapple hook that is on a rope. You spin the rope and throw it to grapple onto something. So it's just like it's, a slightly more realistic... It's an actual grapple hook. Grapple hook? As opposed okay. to the unrealistic hook shot that would tear your arm off. Yeah, I could like that. And then it still like has that dependence on stamina. It just takes unclimbable surfaces and makes them climbable, but you still need to use the stamina to climb the surface. Yeah, and also might open up other avenues to solve different puzzles. Yeah. There's a lever up above, you gotta throw your thing and pull the lever down or something like that. Uh, now you see, for what I was thinking is, I don't want to say a weapon because I feel like the weapon mechanic for this series has already kind of been established where most of them are there, they get breakable, so we have, you know, a nice sword, fire sword, staffs. But on that same sense, what could be cool is introducing magic elements like they have in previous games. So, you know, the magical stones from Orchid of Tire, you could do the fire blast or the healing, stuff like that. Implementing something along those lines where... Yeah, okay, he has all this technological power, but what about the magical power from the fairies and the sages? Mm-hmm. Probably introduce that back in and gain magical elements by defeating the tap, like maybe the temples in the place. So you go into the temple, you get the power that lets you beat the temple. So you can still beat it in any order, but you uh, essentially will be freeing a sage or something in the capacity. Well, that would be interesting. Because like I said before, Link is only, outside of certain circumstances, only ever had tools that give him magic to use in situations. I think it'd be cool if they reintroduced the, um, like, the gauntlets of strength and stuff like that. And, like, oh, like the power gloves? Th- yeah, they oh, have, yeah. like, certain barriers that are just impassable, and instead of using magnesis to move these barriers... You have to, like, find the gauntlet somewhere in the world so that you can actually lift these giant boulders out of your way. Right. And that's the thing I feel like with Breath of the Wild 2, it can't be like, oh, add back, you know, the boomerang or the fire rod or some of those, like, the big Goron sword. It needs to specifically be enhanceable uh, effects that don't have anything to do with combat necessarily, but can be used that way. And ideally things that have an impact on exploration, yeah, more so than combat, just because exploration was a huge part of this game and... Improving on the exploration would be really cool if they did it. For example, bring back the Eye of Truth and the, uh, uh, was it the True Stones? Yes. Yes. The thing that allows you to see hidden secrets and then also use those secrets to your own advantage as well as the truth from inside the True Stones, yeah. Also, from the Oracle games, the rings give them a little bit more use, magical rings. I do not which... remember the rings from the Oracle okay, games. Okay, well... If we're giving Link actual magic to use, maybe having magical rings for other certain things might not be so much of a good idea. But I did enjoy the rings as a mechanic, because throughout the game you could collect them either by getting rings from mods or from certain drops 
and having them appraised, or through secrets and different quest chains. And they'd do different things for you, like uh, you'd take one less heart damage from this damage source, or there were cosmetic rings where you'd put it on and you'd turn into an Octorok. You couldn't do anything, but you'd walk around as an Octorok. There were also rings that would help make the game a little more challenging, where you'd have it on, but you'd take double damage. So while the Oracle games didn't have any challenging modes like Ocarina of Time's Master Quest or the uh, the harder version of uh, Breath of the Wild. I mean, if you want to make any Zelda game more difficult, just do the Master Quest thing of flipping the goddamn screen. That screwed me oh up more than the challenge. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. It was insane how much that affects you. Because it's just like the kind of thing where, like, you're not even thinking about it. You just take a right turn, and then you're like, yeah. why am I taking a right turn? I can see the screen, but it's just... So much muscle memory I mean, built into sure, that game. It would be a little less difficult if it was your first playthrough through the game, but since we've all played through the games before, going through again and expecting one thing, but then turning and facing a wall when we were expecting a door, that's completely disorienting. Yep. And then you walk into a room, you're like, okay, this is the puzzle, I know how to solve this, but then it's not exactly the same puzzle. That just throws another huge wrench into the mix. And also on the mention of the changeable rings uh, that make uh, augments to the gameplay, it would probably not be able to be done in like a core gameplay way, but it could be no. fun. Adding in the masks. Oh. oh. Having like a DLC for the Zelda game that just adds in the different masks. Like Return of the Happy Mask Salesman or something yeah. like that. Oh my god. Oh. Return? I never left. It's like that's what the trailer for the DLC shows. <laughs> and the like, Majora shows up, it's like the moon's again. It's like, I don't want to play this, but I want the mask. <laughs> because there were plenty of characters just wandering the world of uh, Breath of the Wild, and you can talk to them, they all have their own personalities. Like, put on the Mask of Truth. It would be interesting to see what they're thinking. It's like, oh, that's the hero? He doesn't look so impressive. Or uh, I'd laugh if every time you put on the Mask of Truth and then walked up to an NPC to see what they're thinking, it's always something to the effect of, wow, that mask looks really fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> What's weirdo in this mask doing? He knows I can see him, right? I hope he can read my thoughts and know how stupid he is. <laughs> <laughs> so, on the topic of kind of things we want included from previous Zelda games, I want to talk about the greatest Zelda games of all time. The Philips CDI Zelda games. Uh, so you want the one to Gamelon in the new one? Uh, yeah, I want the item to be included in the new one to be the one of Gamelon. Um, no. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm being very sarcastic there. The Philips CDI games are just terrible. Uh, essentially what it was, it wasn't a game console. It was essentially a device for making like presentations. That's what the like controller is designed for. It has like, a D-pad type thing with arrows that point in four different directions. And then just, like, three different buttons below it. And it was mainly, yeah, not used for playing video games, but for giving presentations and that sort of stuff. And yet, for whatever reasons, the developer of this thing decided it was a good idea to create video games for the Philips CDI. And he made three different uh, Legend of Zelda games. There's Legend of Zelda, The Wand of Gamelon. Was it Masks of Evil was one of them? Masks of Evil. And what was the third one called? Was it, like, Zelda Quest or something like that? Zelda's Adventure. Because this is the, the one you specifically played Zelda in. Yeah. Uh, one second while I Google this. Because this is going to bug me if I don't figure it out. Uh, the Faces of Evil, The Wand of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventure uh, were the three games made for the Philips CDI. And they were very not good. 
Like, very not good. It was a lot of moving around the board, using your abilities, but also, like, the abilities didn't really work. They... They played, like, Link's Adventure, but applied, like, adventure game logic. Yeah. Link's Adventure with adventure game logic, and also the mechanics of a PowerPoint presentation more so than, like, (laughs) a video game system. I hate it because, in theory, they could have been very fun games. Like, the world that they were set in and, like, the story they tried to tell could have been phenomenal, but the execution made them just bad to the point where Nintendo doesn't want you to even associate it with Zelda. (laughs) Those are not Zelda games. They're just games that use the Zelda name. I don't know. They're... They're bad, is what I'm trying to say, but, like, actually had a surprising amount of potential for such bad games. Well, since we were talking about masks earlier, I'd like to uh, go back to uh, Majora's Mask for a little bit. And uh, we made a comment about that whole fan theory that Link actually died at the start of Majora's Mask. And, uh, yeah, no, I always hated that, because if Link died, then... uh, well, he was, he was confirmed, essentially, by Nintendo to be that skeleton warrior in the uh, Twilight Princess who was teaching you all the different sword techniques. Yeah, I believe the official story is that he's the Orphan of Time Link that was upset that because in this timeline he was never known as a hero, that he wanted to pass his skills on to the next generation. Yeah, he even if he wasn't known by the common people as a hero... He knew that he had the skills of a hero and he wanted to pass them on so that his legacy wouldn't die with him. Yeah, and so uh, the fan theory is that he died in the Lost Woods. If that was the case, then as any Hyrulean or Hylian dying in the Lost Woods, they would have become like a Stelphos or a Stelchild. Well, uh, I believe it's children become Skull Kids and uh, adults become Stelphos. Yes. But that's clearly not the case if he actually went on to grow up and become a man and died to become this skeleton in the future. Well, the idea behind it, too, is that uh, Twilight Princess Link is a direct descendant of his as well. And if you want to do the math and he died as a kid, that's some horrifying implications if he has a direct descendant when he died as a kid. Some traumatic things happen in that kid's childhood. Yeah. Of course... The entirety of Majora's Mask would be traumatic for him, if not for the fact that he had the trauma. I mean, I mean a different kind of trauma, man. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, <laughs> the moon landing on you kind of trauma. Man, I wonder how many times... Oh, moon landing on you. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings up a fun little thought that I hadn't considered before, but you bring up that fan theory. Is there any other kind of fan theories about Legend of Zelda that you guys really like or really dislike for any reason? That was... Mm-hmm a bad topic because I don't know of any fan theories off the top of my head that are... I think we mentioned the two prominent ones, which was uh, the secret fourth piece of the Triforce, as well as uh, the Link died one. I mean, there's some, like, creepypasta-esque theories of, like, Ben died is one ben, of them. Ben drowned, uh, but we don't have to go there. And then there's, like, uh, Orphan of Time had two other temples, which was, like, a, what, the wind temple of sorts, and an ice temple, which was kind of used. Right. The, yeah. the Ice Temple was originally used going at, to be a plan, but then it was severely cut down. Just to be the home of the Metal Boots. Yeah. And the Wind Temple, the reason the speculation for that is because the Forest Temple uh, stage in Ganon's final bit, uh, level was, had to use a lot of wind stuff associated with it, which didn't really show up in the Temple, uh, the Forest Temple. And I believe for the Ice Temple too, it was supposed to be 
further back in that open bay area. It was supposed to be at the end because you know how there's just kind of like an open space back there that doesn't really do anything? Yeah. That was supposed to be the entrance to the actual ice temple. Because that would then make more sense for uh, why Zora's domain actually froze over if there was actually an icy mountain back there. Yeah, and not just this little dimension that's spitting out ice. Although that final room in that uh, ice, ice cavern was really something to look at, even in those old N64 graphics. <laughs> that ice temple was a pain in my ass, because the 3D camera was not great for seeing things behind you, and that dungeon was full of spinning things that came at you from behind. That looked like, like the floor and the ceiling. Yeah. I liked the game. There were some parts of that game that made me very unhappy as a human being. Uh, but aside from that, I don't think there's any like prominent plot theories I can think of. I'm sure there is. I'm sure I don't know them. Except for the ones we came up with for Breath of the Wild, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I like those theories. That is my favorite theory. But aside from uh, fan theories, actually, uh, canon statements is how the Rito came from... Was it... Yeah, the Rito came from Zora's? Yeah, for some reason. Because when the world flooded, they needed to adapt to fly. Which makes perfect sense, because I know... If I was a fish person and the world flooded, that'd be really bad for me. I'd hate it if the world had more water as a fish person. I mean, I guess they were probably fresh water. Yeah, probably. Does that, uh, does that mean the oceans were predominantly fresh water in Wind Waker? Because where would all that extra salt come from to make technically saltwater oceans? Well, I, I guess if they the, already the had oceans... The gods did it. <laughs> the the, the yeah. Sorry, getting a little too sciencey uh, there. It wasn't... Rain, it was tears, and tears are salty. Ah. It was flooded by the tears of God because they saw you masturbating. I, I mean, at the same, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the same state of, like, okay, maybe the Zora freshwater, and that's what they do a debt. But the Great Bay is clearly connected to the ocean and Majora's Mask. and Yeah, there, there are oceans. And there's the evil Zoras in the future of the uh, Decline timeline where they live in, like, oceans. And swamps. And they fight against the hero. And they look more like fish than they do people. So maybe the Zoras kind of had three evolutionary paths during this time where some of them uh, stayed freshwater and didn't really evolve all that much. Some of them tried to flee the coming saltwater and thus evolved into bird people who flew away. Which they already had like sentient bird creatures why not just have the birds from skyward sword evolve into the and let's not forget that breath of the wild just said fuck it let's do it all and has the rito and the zora both present yeah uh yeah and then so there's the one that's just the rito who managed to hide away and stay in freshwater locations there's the rito who or the zora who evolved into rudos and then there's the zora who were like, fuck it, let's try and adapt to saltwater, and apparently saltwater turns Zora's evil. Makes sense. I'd be pretty salty if I had to live in the ocean. <laughs> Matt, why do you hate me? I don't hate you, Peter. Uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what we find out with Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, I, I look forward to them conf- listening to our podcast, updating the game so that it confirms literally everything we predicted. Yep. And nothing will be wrong. Nah. Not a single thing we said today will be proven wrong. Although if we were wrong, feel free to email us. Uh, email us and tell us that the developers at Nintendo were wrong and they did clearly mistook part of our podcast and misunderstood <laughs> something. 
They didn't follow the lore properly. Yeah. All right. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Matt is aggressively chugging down milk right now to try and deal with the pain. <laughs> so, Matt, how you uh, feeling? Yeah. Uh, Enjoy the pepper? I am sad that I can still feel my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, if you oh. eat another one, you might not be able to feel your mouth anymore. No, I'm not going to take that risk. So, oh. just as a reminder, this was a pre-recorded episode. Thank you very much for checking in. And we'll be back with you with our regularly scheduled episode in about uh, two weeks' time, where we'll probably be talking about Fire Emblem Three Houses, I assume. Yeah, Keith, well, you want to bite into a pepper right yeah, now? Yeah, so uh, I mean, it looked pretty good. And, uh, join Matt and Saul. See, see how it's going. This is, this is hell. Oh, oh, I need more milk. That's not that bad. What is wrong with you? <laughs> There's a little bit of heat. Smith